0: Welcome, everyone, back to the broadcast. It's a beautiful Friday afternoon here in sunny Southern California. I'm David Woods, Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the 24-7 Sports Network. And I am joined by Tracy Pearson. Tracy, how are you?
1: I'm very well. You know, hey, everyone has to know, Dave does that intro every, well, every time we do it. I can't say every week. He's never flubbed it. We've never had to start over. He nails that thing. Every time, I mean, you do this. I mean, it's se- not really that semi-weekly. That semi-weekly time. for like six years. It's you know, but I mean, you've never blown it. I would have blown it once by now. I think so. Just you know, a lot of respect out to you, bearded I, one.
0: I love it. I love it. D- dose me up with some more. That was great.
1: <laughs> um, I I have you gotten your haircut yet? No. Oh, I think you are an incredibly handsome man wow. for like a guy who I would walk by on the street and think was homeless and
0: Yeah, not. no, I'm 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 one of those guys you look you walk by him on the street and you're like, Oh, how did that happen? Yeah. Yeah. Why yeah. did that happen to that, you know
1: He seems intelligent
0: fella? <laughs> Why did life's travails just beset him so? Yes. Yeah.
1: Um we have something – we have a very big game coming up on Saturday. Dave. We do. Uh, it's the UCLA-USC basketball game. Ah, and yes. There is quite a bit riding on this on this game. Obviously, UCLA is in first place, and SC is just a game behind it. So first place is up for grabs. If SC wins, uh, they will be tied, I believe. Um, and it's a very interesting matchup. I could talk about this matchup for – a long time. I've watched a lot. If I I've probably watched SC the second most of any other team in college basketball, and it's not just because it's SC, but it's 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 also because uh, I'm intrigued by that team. I got to tell you, uh, Evan Mobley is kind of a freak. He's kind of really good. Of yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> he's he's, he's really good.
1: Damn! I mean, there are so many ways to look at this. I and mean, he's
0: playing so many minutes for a seven-footer. He's like so like many minutes.
1: it's a game, thirty-four minutes. It's ridiculous. Uh, it's that's insane. I don't think I ever remember. Like, to, how many minutes did Kevin Love play? Did he play thirty? Uh, I think it was like thirty-two,
0: <laughs> something like that. Okay. But you know, it's a different thing. I mean, they're playing. Uh, the the thing is, like, I mean, well, I guess this year uh, Enfield slowed it down, slowed it down a little bit, but. I don't know those that love offense was grinding it out a little bit more, and I don't know uh, what Mo was doing is just freakish for like a guy his size, especially a freshman to be doing it, and everything he's doing on the court, not just playing, but um, doing you know basically everything pretty well.
1: <laughs> yeah, and he's he's putting up Kevin Love esque numbers like seventeen and ten, seventeen and nine, something like that, which is just uh, at seven foot. And and already one of the the, better blocks. One of the better
0: blocks. Yeah, I was just going to say, one of the better shot blockers in college basketball this year.
1: And the craziest thing about it is you watch him and you still think it's not like you're saying, wow, he's just playing so much up to his. You you literally come away watching him saying, he's not even as good as he could be.
0: (laughs) Yeah, no, there's more there. There's more there. I mean, and like just one obvious thing he's not yet hitting a great percentage from three. But looking at his stroke, looking at you know free throw, he's he's hitting seventy two percent right now. I mean, he's going to be a better than uh, he's going to be a respectable three point shooter at some point in his career.
1: I think uh, the comparison that Mick Cronin made to Anthony Davis, uh, he doesn't have that kind of those kind of shoulders. He doesn't have that kind of width. He's he's uh, a lot more narrow. But that's the kind of player I you could see him being in the NBA. Um, and I've just gotten some news. I've I've heard that he's coming back for his second year at US. No. <laughs> uh,
0: no. No. He will not be. He will not be returning. He will be. He will be making a lot of money. A lot. A lot of money.
1: Okay. And this is the thing though about this team. Uh, I mean, uh, he's seven foot. His brother. I, I think Isaiah, Co- Cody Riley
0: should be able to handle him. Don't you think?
1: Oh gosh. Uh, I mean, this is the matchup problem. Let's go through this. He's seven foot. Cody Riley's. Def- Defending him. Cody Riley's 6'8 and a half.
0: maybe? I would say 6... Yeah, sure, you're being generous. That's fine. We like generosity. 6'8 uh, and a half, and I wouldn't say like particularly long arms for his size. Um, probably about average for his size. Um, and, I, I mean, we've made this point before. Not a vertical athlete. And certainly not a shot blocker. Um, not really an interior defensive presence in any real way, except as a rebounder. Um, yeah. So... That's going to be um, potentially devastating. This is the game where if you were, you know, following along with what we were writing about the Jalen Hill-Riley conversation, even if you fall on the opposite side of it, uh, this is the game where you really needed, and I'm using kind of a past tense there because I don't know if they're going to have it, you really needed an active and ready Jalen Hill for this game. Um, And I don't know if they're going to get that at this point because I think he's... I think his play has gone in the tank. I think it was in maybe in response to the minutes reduction or the, you know, having to fight for minutes with Cody Riley, whatever is going on there. I don't think he's ready for this kind of matchup. Um, and, and, and maybe I he proves this you, wrong, but I, I don't know.
1: And I don't think you can go to the two posts in this game. They no. haven't played it all year. You can't just suddenly throw that in there and say, okay, play seamlessly. Uh, you just, you can't do that now. I think the only thing you can do is say, That same old axiom, we're going to play our game, which means Cody Riley will be able to score probably on offense even around uh, Evan Mobley. That's your best chance. And just double Evan every time he – Mobley every time he touches the ball, triple. (laughs) The problem is his brother is 6'10". And, wow, that's Jaime Yaquez's matchup, who's 6'6". Uh, I mean if you if you've seen a trend here <laughs> uh you know this this pains dave and i and i'm speaking for dave but sc is and i hate to sound bill walton because it was over the top how much he praised usc at every given opportunity but damn this is a this this is a better uh, let's put it this way this team is so talented and they should be better than they are um, yeah. They should have a better record. They're underachieving at this point because they've had a couple of games where they went through long stretches in a few games, actually in almost every game, but some games where they went through particularly long stretches where they just played without very much focus and discipline and got behind and just played horribly. for, And they couldn't make up for it. Yeah. But when you watch them play, you just say, that looks like I mean, just physically and athletically, you say that looks like a Final Four team while that other team they're playing against doesn't.
0: (laughs) Yeah, totally. I I completely agree. Um, And I think it's partly because they're coached by Andy Enfield that they um, haven't been able to do it completely consistently. Um, But the one missing piece for that team is probably outside shooting. Um, They haven't really needed it that much. I don't know if they're going to really need it against UCLA because of – you know, what we're kind of highlighting in terms of the size issues on the inside. I think they're going to be able to get, uh, you know, obviously it's going to be Mick Cronin's goal to prevent scoring in the paint. Are they going to be able to do that, though? Even packing it in, uh, a guy like Evan Mobley, he's just going to be above everyone else. Again, unless Jalen Hill really gears up for this game, like he's ready to go. This is his showcase game if he wants to make some money after this season. And he decides he's just going to, you know, play like souped up version of the end of last year, Jalen Hill. Um, That could give Evan Mobley problems because Hill is, you know, I I don't know if he's right there with Mobley, but he's a pretty high level athlete himself. Um, And I think he could create some problems for Mobley. Um, But unless that happens, I'm just having a hard time even seeing a packed in defense uh, preventing Mobley from getting what he wants just because of the... um, significant size disadvantages and
1: and and i get what you're saying that they don't necessarily really kill you with their three-point shooting but damn there have been times of certain games when they they really kind of have and the guy that gets me is drew peterson damn that dude he's there he's leading the team in in three-point shooting uh he's shooting almost 40 percent and he's kind of that guy that okay, you're doubling Mobley, you're looking for the ball to come out and for the beginning of the season I think people weren't really marking him that much and now I think people have started to but he's still I mean the guy's 6'8" 6'7" 6'8", he's a hard matchup. I mean, so let's just go down the line. Who who guards uh, you've got you've got <laughs> You've got Isaiah White, who's six seven. You've got Drew Peterson, who's six eight. And those are the wings. Who guards those guys on yeah. UCLA's team? Uh, and then, and then you've got the point guard Taj uh, Eddie, who um, he's six two. I don't know. If this this is any way you kind of look at it. Without Jalen Hill playing at a high level. It's hard to, it's really hard to fathom UCLA being able to play this game really competitively at the Galen Center. That is, unless USC does go through one of their really undisciplined, unfocused, long stretches in this game, which they are prone to do. And I've seen it happen a few times where you just say, wow, they've played bad for like six straight minutes, right? So, because their defense is, the, the defense is long and quick. (laughs) Yeah It's See and then Taj He's he's shooting 35% They kick it out to him And he generally has been Has been a timely three point shooter too So
0: I've got a bold thought I've got a bold thought You ready for a bold thought? Okay So earlier on in the year We were talking about uh, UCLA's schedule And when So this is probably uh, UCLA's second toughest opponent of the year After Ohio State And honestly Uh, That's from a quality of team standpoint, but also just kind of from a similarity standpoint. Just a team with a lot of size makes it tough. Um, But we were talking earlier in the year when we were saying, hey, when might be a good time for them to, uh, you know, dust off uh, a Mac Etienne? I don't think this is a great time for it, but I could see a situation developing where there's some real foul trouble in this one. Um, Yeah. And they might need to find a way to get two bigs on the floor um with maybe a little bit more athleticism than Cody Riley um and I could you know that that's something I would at least be thinking of in the back of my head and I don't know if he's ready or anything close but you might need five minutes of somebody who's actually a, a high major and this is no uh knock on um you know anyone else on UCLA's roster but somebody who's a high major uh, uh big um so I I don't know I'd be interested in seeing that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I uh, so let's just let's just guess. I mean, the way we're talking, obviously, we're kind of we're kind of projecting a loss for UCLA. So they're tied. Let's say they're tied. Um, generally, UCLA and USC have the same remaining schedule. There is one little unique twist. USC has plugged in a Stanford game like on a Monday in a couple of weeks. They play five games in 10 days. So that could wear them down a little and Stanford Stanford is a I, I hate to say a tough out because it sounds like they're gonna lose and they're there and it's just tough it's tough to put them to beat them, but you're going to beat them. Stanford I think can beat anyone. In this in this league, on any given night, especially given that you know injuries, guys not playing, whatever, but that's going to be tough. And and plugging in that Stanford game on that Monday night, <laughs> which is really crazy to do, um, could could make it a little bit tougher. The remaining schedule for for USC, they'll go. Uh, Arizona State and Arizona at home, then Stanford on that Monday at home. Then they got to go to Colorado and Utah the next weekend. So UCLA hasn't rescheduled. You would think it's going to reschedule an Oregon game, perhaps on that last week uh, before the final USC game at Pauley, but hopefully not sometime midweek there (laughs) like USC has done to Stanford. So I would suspect UCLA might have a slightly better. Let's say they're tied after this weekend. UCLA might have a slightly better schedule, more favorable schedule from here on out. And I'd, I'd much rather UCLA play uh, Oregon at Poly than USC having to draw Stanford, who should have beat them this week and didn't. Yeah. Did you Did you watch that game?
0: Yeah. No. Stanford should have won.
1: And Stanford, Stanford matches up well. They're, they're a big team, you know, that doubles posts. They matched up really well. By the way, as I, has Stanford been UCLA's nemesis this year? Two overtimes in football? They've in been my point.
0: nemesis. I don't know about wow. UCLA's, but having to sit through overtimes against Stanford hasn't been my favorite thing in the entire world.
1: Okay, well, that works.
0: Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think the, the bottom line is UCLA has to at least split against USC this year. Um, so if they lose this one, they, it's a must win to beat them at home, but I think a split alone eh, won't quite do it. Uh, they still need to take care of business. Um, but they could even afford a loss if they just split it, um, beyond these two, uh, games. Um, so, but that does mean they have to sweep Washington on the road, which like, let's all cast our memories back to the Washington homestand. I mean, they blasted Washington state off the court. And then one by five against Washington. Um, So they're going to have to take care of business against the Washington's on the road. And then both Arizona schools at home. I mean, ASU has not been good this year, but uh, certainly has the potential to be. Um, And Arizona obviously uh, has some talent. And then it's the mountain trip. Um, They've got to win. If they split the USC games, I think they've got to win five of six in those other games. Um, And that's. We're talking about four road games and two home games. Um, So
1: I don't say though, even though I think USC is, is a better team, they have at least as much a chance of dropping one of these games that they'd be favored than UCLA, because they've come close. They should have lost to Stanford. They did lose to Oregon. They lost to Oregon state. I, I mean, yeah, they go through those lulls where it's just like, they don't, they they're turning the ball over they're over dribbling they they went to overtime against nuts. uc
0: riverside recently yeah
1: yeah so now let's just let's just project if ucla wins this game
0: they're it's full driver's seat at that point yeah um yeah. because i mean a lot of things have fallen such a way that USC is really the only competition, and they still would be at that point, but suddenly you're talking about a 10-1 and in conference UCLA and an 8-3 and in conference USC. Two games up in the loss column, you know, that leaves a lot of wiggle room, um, especially yeah. with what we're talking about, which is USC is more, than, more likely probably than UCLA to um, find themselves in a very dangerous situation. Um, yeah. And the rest of the league, I mean, Colorado now has four conference losses. Arizona and Stanford each have five. Oregon now has three, and... I think they would have to find some new games uh, to even qualify for the conference title at this point. Um, yeah, they so, won't be able
1: to. They won't yeah, be able to.
0: Yeah, yeah so uh, if they win, I mean, it's not quite de facto the conference title game, but it's pretty close to it. Um, yeah. So it's a huge game. Um, it's a huge game for securing um, the opportunity to just play for seeding over the final, whatever, four weeks of the season. Um And uh, it's just a tough matchup. I think that's mainly what we're saying is um, unless they can find an answer for Evan Mobley and and whatever that entails, Jalen Hill stepping up or they're able to double the post really effectively, like they've got some good defensive schemes built in, um, but they're going to have to have something. Um, And and if they're able to do that and USC is, you know, not even super cold from three, but cold enough, uh, you know, UCL is good enough offensively that they, you know, should be able to make something happen. Um, it's not like it's, you know, David versus Goliath, but it's a challenging matchup for sure.
1: And, you know, it's funny, too, because, um, you know, you can point to matchups and say, uh, you know, USC has been more vulnerable against teams that have size, like Sanford. But I watched Oregon State, which isn't really a big team. I mean, they've got a couple of big guys. But SC just randomly it's not like it's forced by good defensive teams or other teams go on big shooting, you know, streaks SC just goes through these lulls, um, which is self-inflicted and they did against Oregon state particularly. So we're hoping for one of those lulls on Saturday is what we're hoping for.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And we'll, we'll certainly see if that ends up happening. Um, but anyway, I mean, whatever. We're talking about UCLA winning conference titles or not, or being very close to doing it. It's fine. Everything's fine.
1: That's fine. It's it's. How up, about what it, Chris Smith? Yeah. How about what Chris Smith said about Coach Cronin?
0: I didn't did see you what he say?
1: You didn't see that. I didn't see it. Hey, hey, Dave. There's this place to go check just every once in a while. You should maybe. Oh, is, check it, the, it, out. is it the front page of the website? It's called that front page. Yeah. Ah,
0: yeah. interesting. Okay, McCronin is how this team has kept everything together. Okay, very interesting, Nick. Very interesting, and, Chris.
1: And he said it, in it was really, it was pretty, pretty like dynamic way that he said it to. He also said, in his opinion, UCLA is the best coach in college basketball. But oh, very complimentary thing for Chris to say. And obviously, that should be sent out to about every recruit that it could be sent out to. But oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and you know when 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 Cronin says in these interviews that he's not getting any sleep, I don't think that's hype. I completely believe him that he's not getting, and not only because he's he's worrying about his opponents, it's also because he's kept up because of a play from last week. <laughs> um yeah, we've got one of those guys. You know, when we talk about when we talk about coaches at UCLA, uh, there are two factors that dictate success: whether you want to be there. Um, I can go back, and really, you can just say, "Guy wanted to be there; he was good." Guy wanted to be there; he guy didn't want to be there; he wasn't. And then the guys who just work their ass off because they have a they have a chip on their shoulder. Um, I've been, I've been touting that formula for years and years, and Mick Cronin is my poster boy for this because, damn, you can just see he's the most competitive-driven guy. He might be the most competitive-driven coach since we've been doing this, Dave, wouldn't you say, at UCLA? Oh gosh! Oh wait, okay. Rick Rick Neuheisel. <laughs> <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. Yeah, Sorry. I mean, like Darrell, no, Neuheisel, no. Uh, like first, first, like three months, Mora. Yeah, yeah. That was that was pretty driven. Um, Chip Kelly, no. Uh, basketball. Um, I wouldn't say even early Howland was this kind of. Uh, I mean, I think he was a nutcase in his own way. Um, but not necessarily at this like level of, uh, intensity about it. What we're getting with, uh, Cronin is a little bit more of the like huggy bear, uh, Bob Huggins style of intensity, which is fun. It's something new. Um, you know, cause Howland was big on, you know, he, he'd do some angry yelling, but he was always more of a... He was always. What I'll say about Halland is he was always very dull. Usually in the post game press conferences, Mick never is, and often it's being fueled by um, a great deal of anger and frustration about the game. Um, and that's that's a that's a difference. It's a difference. And,
1: and and I know Ben put in a lot of hours for sure, but I don't think anyone's putting in the hours that Mick Cronin's putting in. I just from my personal knowledge and then my opinion. I just I think the guy like it's to the point where we need to remind him he needs to do some things for his health <laughs> kind of thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. He just needs to take care of himself. Yeah. Uh, when you're talking about more the thing I always remember, I it must've been like the first month when we were interviewing him and we asked him about the over the wall tradition. Yeah. Do you remember that interview?
0: Yeah. It, it was, um, it was actually during bull practices where he hadn't yet officially taken control of the right. team. And it was right. Mike Johnson, I think, leading them at that point. Um, and they went over the wall, and I think he was so incensed by it that he kind of, in an impromptu way, uh, came out on the field the next day. Um, like, they let him out on the field, and, and he just... He was so disgusted he wouldn't even look at the team. He kind of presented his back to the practice field and then just, like, kind of ranted for about seven minutes and was doing his whole... Yeah, if they want to jump over the wall, they should just keep running. Um which was really great. It was all and just that awesome. And it was, was just it was friggin' catnip for the bros. Do you remember how much they loved uh, that?
1: That interview with I mean, he couldn't contain himself and and his distaste for that tradition. Yeah. It well, was it was great. Yeah. Um that was the first time when I actually thought they might actually have something with him.
0: The yeah, interview. no, he he was if you remember that first off season, um, he nailed every one of the like PR things. Every one of yeah. the big like um you know, strike the right note with the fan base uh, things.
1: And I think we've told the story before since we're telling a few more stories. You know, he wanted to meet with us when he had become, uh, you know, he's on the job for a few months. And we we were cordial and everything. And then he decided he was going to call you and me in to talk to us. Because he just wanted to talk about our coverage. You know, just generally he wanted to talk. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. We walked into that room and he had a stack it was what, probably three or four inches tall of papers that he had printed, that someone had printed out for him of our stories, along with it like highlighter highlighted. And I think his intention was to literally go over every single page with us.
0: Yeah, no, it was yeah. he He had every intention of doing that, but we just kind of cut yeah. him off and were like, oh, yeah, yeah no, dude, yeah. Don't, don't worry about it. Yeah, uh, but he yeah he, I, he'd either done it himself or he'd had somebody do it. But like seriously, given that much of a crap about what we're writing for, bro, come on, man, yeah. what are you yeah. doing?
1: Yeah, I know, but it showed the intensity. Oh yeah, yeah. no, it it totally. Showed did. That he was competing on all levels. So yeah, yeah. no, I
0: think I, and I think Mick is um, you know if, if all the speculation. I, I think Mick's a reader as well. Uh, <laughs> I think he I think he reads probably just about everything that's written
1: about his team. Well, uh, let me tell you a little inside thing about Mick. To. So if you watch the interview this week, I asked him in his experience of coaching if there was someone uh, like a, a an elite freshman that compared with Evan Mobley, and if you watched it, it kind of you know most coaches can put it on autopilot to go through these interviews, and you know Mick does. I like Mick, Mick's autopilot; it's still pretty you know interesting, but that caught him off guard, and he didn't he didn't have a go to on that and. You could see it frustrated him because, come on, this is, this is a, like a real basketball guy who, you know, probably, you know, takes a lot of pride in knowing every last thing. Uh, about an hour later, I was contacted by Mick Cronin for him to tell me the guy he had followed up and, and went through and, and started to think about the guys that he had seen as freshmen because it had bugged him so much.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> he said great question it's got me thinking so pretty funny that is pretty yeah. funny yeah uh, um so dave we're gonna have to also I, talk a little I bit
0: i know that was the deep well, side of, of, of moving yeah on i know football.
1: it was an anticipor, anticip- anticipatory 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 wait you've got to have a weird pronunciation of that
0: no, but you know which one...
1: and I don't know
0: why I use this word in polite conversation as much as I do. But you know the word, um, let, me, let me pronounce it correctly first, uh, okay. palatable. Yeah. I always want to go palatable.
1: Uh, you've said palatable on this. Have I, I done I'm, it?
0: I, I always know. want to do it. And I don't know why I use the word so much, but I do. And I always want to pronounce it wrong. Every
1: time you there's something in your brain that you like to pronounce things like on a contrary
0: i I don't know what it is i don't know i don't know why i wish i didn't but it happens it just i like
1: it though it's 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 kind of fun
0: anticipatory we've got to talk some ucla football um yeah thinking about things that are wrong and we don't know why
1: let's talk about football (laughs) recruiting first
0: let's do it um i'm just glad well no i'm not glad i'm not glad i'm not gonna say glad uh, but UCLA uh, now is, I think everyone can get out of the top 25 mindset. It's a top 30 class. Top 30. 30th. 30th. Uh, after the, uh, the harrowing loss of a punter, uh, it's now 30th. That's not the only reason a lot of other teams got commitments on signing day. Uh, but UCLA finishes-ish, finish, more or less finish, uh, at the 30th ranked um, recruiting class. That doesn't include transfers. At some point, we're all going to have to figure out a way to think about things that includes transfers because this is going to be part of our lives for the foreseeable future. And it's certainly the UCLA nailed transferring uh, better than many schools did. But yes. you were saying it's in the works.
1: It's in the works of 24-7. I have no ETA on that, but they are starting to realize transfers, transfer portal is such a huge portion of recruiting, which is a huge portion of our coverage that they know they're going to have to incorporate that into the ranking system and yeah as you said i mean eyeballing it arguably ucla has easily one of the handful of the best transfer classes in the country
0: yes. yes yes uh you're talking about ethan garber's quarterback cam brown wide receiver; zach charbonnet running back uh, cameron johnson safety and jordan genmark heath from notre dame uh the other safety Um, Yes. So that's uh, five transfers coming in, in addition to the uh, 17, well, 18, including Hayden Nelson um, commitments from high school and J.C. and whatnot. Um, All right. So what do you think about this class, Tracy? I mean, I know you've written a lot. Do you want to give me your give me your elevator pitch?
1: Yeah. Um, The thing... To me, you know, and we go by rankings. Everyone goes by rankings, but just throwing out the rankings. Uh, When I was writing about this class. Throw them out, everyone. Throw it out. I said it needed a long time ago. It needed offensive line, defensive line. It needed two quarterbacks. It needed a cut, and it needed some running backs. And now on February 5th, That's exactly what it got. It got one of its best offensive line, defensive line classes in recent memory. One of the top two or three probably in the last 20 years. Um, And what really pulled that out, what put me over was how they finished on the defensive line. I mean, they had one guy committed of a couple of weeks before the first signing day. And now they have six. So uh, that's phenomenal how they finished with that. Um, and then the one that finally put that over was Tia Oa Liisavea.
0: I think you nailed that. I think you I should think never pronounce it any differently.
1: I'm getting I'm getting coached by by Blair on how to do that all the time. Um, so I think that was that was a phenomenal class to put together, literally in weeks, um, which we did not see coming. Didn't see the commitment of Quentin Somerville coming. Didn't see Savea coming. Didn't see the flip of Christian Burkhall through. Who I think might have the most upside of every of all the DLS. Um, really phenomenal job there. And from what I've heard, I heard, we're giving a lot of credit to Johnny Nansen, the defensive line coach, which we should. But I've heard uh, that uh, Jason Kafusi, the outside linebacker uh, kind of defensive end raider coach. Um, had a lot to do with it, as did director of player personnel, Ethan Young. So it was a team effort. Obviously, I don't know if they could have got it done without Nansen. Um, but that that really, for me, brought it home. If They had just even gotten the transfers, running back, quarterback, and that offensive line, but it only signed one or two defensive linemen when you and I have looked at that depth chart and said, do they look at this? Because we're looking at it and the depth has fallen off a cliff within two years. They're gonna lose seven guys and I don't see any other younger guys. So um, they, I, you and I looked at that for so long saying, I guess they don't look at depth charts a year in advance, but they clearly did now and they answered that question. So there are some holes uh, they need to plug in, I, I, they need another safety. They need to look at the transfer portal for a safety. middle linebacker wouldn't hurt. Uh, they did get a safety, uh, sorry, a quarterback transfer and it looks like they're probably looking good for that other one from Old Dominion. Um, so there are a few little holes here and there, but the thing that also was, I mean, how long ago we were saying, Wow, things look bleak with quarterback and running back recruiting. Dacian Morrell had decommitted. They had no one. They ended up getting him back, and then they get Zach Charbonnet, who might have been my favorite running back in the 2019 class nationally. Um, big, quick, looks like a NFL player to me, and they got him bounced back, and then I was a big fan of Ethan Garber's too. So, wow, they really pulled it out, and... On one hand, you, you'd say they were lucky with the transfer portal because all of these guys from Southern California are bouncing back, but give them a little bit of credit because they recruited them well initially when they are in high school, and that laid the groundwork for it. All in all, you know, not getting fixated on that number 30, but I think it answered a lot of UCLA's needs um, in, in a way that we would not have expected. Uh, And, you know, I'm not even giving credit to the wide receiver class, which was solid to very good. So, yeah. Uh, All good, and I don't think they're – we know they're not over in the transfer portal. They have three spots open uh, to stay under that 25-counter limit. Middle linebacker, probably that other cornerback. Um, And what would really finish this off would be – a nose tackle uh, with multiple years of eligibility. And I know you would like some kind of pass rusher.
0: Yeah, that'd be good. That would be ideal. Uh, They definitely need some sort of pass rush. Um, I do like, okay, so yeah, um, filling needs is nice. And, um, you know, actually recruiting the proper number of guys – for a position and doing it with, you know, a year of advance notice is certainly nice, but I feel like we're certainly we're, we're dropping things down to fulfill the bare minimum requirements of building your roster and uh, maintaining a football program here. Um, they haven't done it. And so now that they're are they're doing it, we're, you know, congratulatory. And I think that's fair. Um, but I, some needed context this is the 30th ranked class in the country and i know we're trying to throw out rankings to an extent but this would be the worst class for jim mora um by a pretty wide margin um it would be i think the second worst for new heisel um and that's if you count that 2011 class where he was um you know already dead in the water um that was bad but the other three were better um For Durrell, you know, the rankings get a little wonky because the 247 database gets a little strange back before 247 existed. Um, But it's, I mean, it's, if you don't count the Chip Kelly years, it's one of the worst classes in the last 20 years for UCLA. Like, just, I mean, from a ranking standpoint. Now, that doesn't doesn't mean that um, these individual players won't work out or that some of them are under-recruited or under-evaluated, but I do want to, like, we can't just throw out the rankings every everything that we know about how talent projects at the next level how it projects actually for college um success is that these things do matter um and if you recruit like the 30th best program in the country you're often going to perform in that 30 to 50 range like that's and this isn't consistent you know we're talking about this is one of the better classes they've had um and it's you know it's it's thirtieth. Um
1: so I would say I would say this though, in answer to that. And I, I agree with you, but I would say UCLA has a history, especially recently under Jim Mora, of and while I am a complete advocate that recruiting rankings do indicate future success, generally across <laughs> across college football. I would say that if you go through UCLA's rankings, that's not necess- necessarily the case. As recently as Jim, some of Jim Moore's classes.
0: Right, but is the answer um, to that to stop recruiting higher level players or to consider that there might be other factors at play?
1: I'd say what that means is that not all four star guys are are the same as recruits and as future college uh, college players. When Chip Kelly was recruiting just three stars, I I wasn't I wasn't buying into that. But he's added guys like Quentin Somerville, Savea, Burkhalter. Those are three four star defensive linemen. I think the ones that Chip Kelly is recruiting has a higher hit rate, a higher chance at a hit rate, and a higher chance to be a contributor than the ones that Mora did. Now We'll have to check back in a few years to see just how many hits this had. I'm really looking forward to it, actually. I, I can't wait to look back with a lot of data on what kind of players these guys were in the program compared to the ranking, compared to Mora's rankings and Mora's hit rate. Because Mora's hit rate was not good.
0: Well, okay, let's go back to 2018 right now for okay. uh, Chip Kelly's first class. Let's just do it so we can be fair about this. Dorian Thompson-Robinson a hit at four stars. Uh, Chase Cota, are we calling that a hit? Um, Is he playing at the level that you expected him as a four-star out of high school?
1: I would say he's not playing at the level I would have expected, but then on the other hand, he's been like a two-year starter. So sure. that's tough. That's a tough one.
0: Chris Murray, I'm calling a miss because that's your, your out-evaluating Absolutely. people and he ditched the program. Uh, I
1: called him a miss when I was analyzing the OLDL class.
0: Yeah, Bo Calvert.
1: Uh, I'd say as of right now, again, similar to Coda.
0: Yeah, I would go. I would go even a little bit further along that path. Towards See, because the don't
1: territory. forget, there are plenty of instances where there were guys who who were in the pro, who were in UCLA program, and they had played, and they weren't very good, and then their senior years, they had good senior years, and you would walk away saying, "Okay, that was a hit." Yeah, I'm skeptical. <laughs> But it's hard to I think it's a little uh it's tough,
0: it's premature, yeah, um, it's
1: premature,
0: but i I think we have this impression of Moore's stuff that um I don't think is borne out entirely by the reality um I think the hit rates are generally like what they are, which is like fifty percent uh but Stephen Blaylock he's a starter, but again i I wouldn't say a hit as of now,
1: well, here's the other thing to consider here a of a, a a lot of these guys were Mora recruits. I mean, they were recruited by Mora. They were chosen by Mora. They were almost... Yeah, but if we
0: give if we give Mora any credit for 2012, which included a lot of hits, then I'm just trying to be fair here and give some credit to Chip Kelly. because I'm... I guess
1: it's just all a lot of gray area, though, Dave, because when you... Uh, the first class is a tough class to judge because you're coming in late. You're pretty much... Uh, he wasn't able – let's just say – Well, he Cohen, solved this problem in uh, class
0: two by recruiting only one four-star.
1: Exactly, and that reinforces what I'm saying. His process of going after just three stars who are good citizens is is not a successful formula at all. But when you combine his idea of going out and getting solid citizens and those are four-star guys – that's I think that's optimizes over Morris Theory.
0: I guess my point is, I think the uh, solid citizens line is BS. Um, I think it's just, it's his way of, um, and it was his way of not doing this um, uh, recruiting game aggressively. And I think they lumped a lot of guys into not solid citizen categories simply because they wanted to be recruited.
1: Absolutely, um, 100%. I and I think, I, I think...
0: I think they're recruiting harder now and so you're ending up with more guys, but I mean decent number of these dudes have already transferred out of the program, uh, the last few years. And they were recruiting you know, the high character guys who were gonna stick with the program and the whole thing, and they've had a they've had a miss rate already of guys who have just left the program. So I don't I, I don't buy the um we're out evaluating character and all this kind of stuff. Um just
1: And what I'm saying is this is a unique class that we've had since Chip Kelly's been recruited at UCLA for me. Because it has more four stars in it. Um they they did it a little bit differently. They were actually like recruiting guys rather than waiting. <laughs> and and there's a transfer portal. Um I mean I, I don't think we're gonna argue with the fact that Zach Charbonnet and Ethan Garbers are great gets that they missed on in high school and now they have them. Um, have we, other than that, the ones that were mora's guys? Have we got? Has Has Chip Kelly gotten anyone that Zach Charbonnet or Ethan Garber level recruit? I
0: I, I don't know. I mean, I maybe don't know Damian until they Sellers. actually come in the program and what they look maybe. like.
1: Damien um, Sellers, maybe.
0: Yeah, Damien right? Sellers. I mean, Sean Ryan. Um, Sean Ryan. Sean Ryan. Certainly up there. Um, but yeah, I mean, these are these are two guys who were what top a hundred or thereabouts. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I mean, I, I, I take the point. Um, I guess I'm just still, even if you well, count those guys, even if you count those guys as high school recruits this year, even if they factored into these rankings, what yeah. are you talking about? You're talking about like a 20th ranked class, right? Something like that.
1: Yeah. Probably
0: thereabouts. I I don't know. I'm just kind of like ballparking it in my brain right now, but it'd be something like that. Maybe the third best class in the PAC 12 still behind Oregon and USC. That's still way under what UCLA should be doing. Sure. Um, Um, And it's just,
1: yeah, let's do this instead of looking back, let's look forward and just think from this point on, uh, I mean, we're kind of, we kind of agree and we're kind of like disagreeing or something. We agree on that. Chip Kelly has not recruited. Well, we agree. (laughs) going forward with the transfer portal as it is with UCLA's advantages in recruiting transfers and the little bit of bump we saw in UCLA recruiting high school prospects, because they won, they went three and four, right. Mm -hmm. And putting Johnny Nansen on the staff to go along with a handful of other good recruiters. Looking forward, you can see a scenario of where, is it optimized? Are they recruiting as good as they should? Probably not. There are probably a few other guys on the staff that pro- that aren't recruiting at the level they should be. But given the transfer portal, and then if they actually win, I mean, all we're talking about is, do they win in 2021? If they win nine games, given the transfer portal and given the couple of guys who are on the staff, can can you see them recruiting successfully going forward?
0: Yeah. And I, I I think they can. So I think if you, so if you look high school wise, I think they uh, will probably recruit somewhere around this, maybe a little bit better going forward. Um, I think the, the competitive advantage that they might get is even more in the transfer portal. Um, if they have a successful season where just guys will be wanting to come to play. Um, but that's, you know, I, I think there's still an open question whether they will have a very successful season next year. And beyond that, they shouldn't be in a position, and I, I guess this is still looking back, but they shouldn't be in a position where they have to rely upon a successful season in their fourth year to recruit at a level necessary to sustain success. Um, this class alone isn't going to, like, raise the talent level such that they're going to be able to just automatically have success. Um like, the, the schemes still need to improve drastically. Guys on the team now still need to improve drastically. Um, the team went, what did they finish? Three and four? I always get the records messed up because I forget how many games they played. It was three and four, right? Yes. Yes. Uh, that's yeah. yes. three straight losing seasons for UCLA. Um, it, it, would be a, it needs a massive uptick in play to be the kind of program that's going to win enough to impact recruiting at the level we're talking about. Like, to get to seven and five requires a significant uptick in play. Um,
1: okay, so now we're—this uh, is interesting. Do you think they're capable, given the personnel, what you saw from last year? Didn't you say you thought seven and five? Did you?
0: Maybe. Um, I, I think it's possible. Um, I think if I was assigning, like, yeah. a pure record right now to what I think is going to happen next year, it would probably be six and six, seven and five. Um But, I mean, now in the fullness of time looking back at that season, uh, the defense was certainly better. And I don't want to, like, knock it from that standpoint, but it wasn't great. It wasn't even very good. It was just average to above average. Um, Now, maybe we're projecting a lot. We're saying, okay, in the second year it's going to get significantly better, Um, you know, with guys knowing their roles better. Maybe they can fit a couple of pieces into the middle of the defense to make it a little bit more stout. Um, but we're also acknowledging that Oso Digizu is no longer going to be on that defense. Um, so I don't know. I don't know if that's going to get significantly better in year two. And then the offense I thought was pretty good last year. Uh, was it elite? Was it great? No, but it was pretty good. Um, but it's going to lose Dimitri Felton, probably the best weapon for that offense um Dorian Thompson Robinson should improve again he was pretty good ju- as a junior he'll probably be even better as a senior uh but you got to plug a new running back in is it going to be Britton Brown uh he was good um you know not quite as dynamic as Richard Felton but is able to do quite a bit the offensive line was better um but is there a significant upside beyond that is this uh offense going to be a top 10 top 15 offense I don't know right and I think that's um... but those are the things we're talking about can yeah. the defense become a top 30 defense? I have no idea. I, 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 and we've I don't, got, I don't a, but I wouldn't say I think yeah. so because they don't have a middle linebacker right now.
1: Right. We've kind of morphed into talking about the level of recruiting and whether it could be good enough to sustain a successful program into how, like, do they have enough to win next year? Because well, we're saying is, the
0: recruiting, the future recruiting right, is right. dependent upon having a good Absolutely. season next year.
1: But I'm, I'm saying I completely agree with all the question marks for next season, 100%. But given UCLA's advantages in recruiting, given a little bit of an upgrade on the staff, and given transfer portal recruiting, which you say obviously is, a ben- is one of the best beneficiaries of this new NCAA wrinkle, UCLA gets a seven wins next year. I think they start recruiting on the level of where they can win at a high level. So if we're just talking about recruiting seven wins, gets them to recruiting. Does it get where I think they should be given the three losing seasons? No, I'm, I'm nine wins or bust when it comes to what I think, but recruiting wise seven wins. And I think they'll, they'll be recruiting at a top 20 level. Um, They went three and four in their top 30 with a great, with a very, with a transfer class that has a huge impact.
0: Yeah, but I mean, they had the 33 ranked class last year um, and they got five transfers that were good and that, or four transfers that impacted last year. Yeah. I I mean, it's, I I think we like this class more because it's. That's why I
1: throw, I shouldn't have mentioned ranking. That's why I throw out ranking because last year's class, offensive line and defensive line, Wow, I mean, I I think you'll agree,
0: fifteen linebackers. Um, <laughs> uh, I mean, but the, the, I guess it's just it's hard for me to always just to to isolate on this this simple class because it's yeah they filled some needs and I think the line uh, recruiting is going to serve whoever's coaching them in two or three years well um, but I don't I, I I don't see this as like a harbinger for the future um, I think it's still very much. Uh, eyes on next season. Um, Can they build a successful program? And not simply for how it will fuel recruiting, but just as proof that Chip Kelly can still do this. Um, Because it's, I mean, it's three straight losing seasons and you could claim there was marginal improvement between season two and season three, but I would say there was next to none between season one and season two. Um, So what's the expectation that they're suddenly going to improve drastically between season three and season four? What's that based on? Um, And that's where, yeah, okay, this recruiting class, I think it fills some needs better than the previous two uh, did. Um, And I think it certainly recruits the lines better, and that's the sustainable part of building a program. But like this past season, if this recruiting class had come as their second and their main full recruiting class, and uh, that season had come as their first season, so say what happened in 2020 was their 2018 season and this recruiting class was instead their 2019 recruiting class that would apply a whole different tenor to this entire thing i wouldn't be critical at all because okay well they recruited at a decent level they filled a lot of needs they got some impact transfers this is okay you can talk me into this but here in uh heading into the fourth year uh, in the program i mean this is a building block class it's not a immediate i mean these guys I don't know. I really, I, this is based off my own judgments and you can certainly disagree. I don't see a whole lot of immediate impact in here. Um, I think this is a lot. And you know, there's a couple of transfers who might uh, Zach Charbonnet certainly could impact the running back depth chart and Ethan Garbers uh, maybe fills in immediately as a backup. Um, but the rest of the, the, the high school class, I don't see anybody as immediate impact really. Um, and that's where, it kinda of loses me as like a big harbinger for the immediate future because I think Chip Kelly's future at UCLA is entirely dependent on this coming season.
1: Right. I, I completely agree. But just answer me this. If they go seven and five, just seven and five, do you think UCLA will recruit at a level given an improvement in high school recruiting and given the transfer portal? Given seven and five, do you think they would be able to recruit at a level to get the kind of talent they would need to win at a high level, whether that's too late or not.
0: Do you but, think they would recruit uh, I, I, at that level? This is the point I'm kind of missing that I should I should hit a little bit harder. I think Chip Kelly needs to recruit at a UCLA elite level to win at UCLA because I've not been shown anything by the way he coaches that they're going to win with a marginal talent difference, uh, that uh, with a marginal talent improvement. Um, I think they need some significant t- talent improvements to win with what he's put out there. Um, So uh, to win at an eight and four level. Yeah, sure. Uh, I think they could win seven games this year and then put together top 20 ish classes, top 25 ish classes, but to win at the level that UCLA, when it's run well, can win, you know, nine, 10 wins, Um, you know, occasionally. I know it seems like forever ago, but uh, you know, maybe compete for a conference title. No, I think they're going to need quite a bit more talent than just the simple seven and five season in year four is going to provide.
1: Right. I I mean, I I pretty much agree with you. I understand what you're saying. I I absolutely do. And I think we're talking about different things. I I think we're in complete agreement over whether UCLA is going to have a successful season in in this fall. Uh, I think it's completely arguable uh, whether they will. My only point would be that the way UCLA recruiting works, all it needs is to win at a little bit of a, a decent clip, and then you throw in the transfer portal, and then it starts to roll. Um, but whether it can get there and whether it's too late or not to get the talent it would need, like let's say it goes seven and five in 2021 to get to 10 wins in 2022, that that's a that's a question. But I'm basically in agreement with you, though, Dave.
0: Well. Then let's talk, Tracy, because <laughs> earlier this week you wrote a story saying that we are bullish <laughs> on the future of UCLA football.
1: I did. Now, if I you mean, mean like love... long
0: term, am I bullish on UCLA football? Absolutely.
1: OK, that's all I meant.
0: Yeah, I know. I get it. Um, so what everyone, do you like to thought, do?
1: everyone thought when I said we, they thought it meant I, you also. Yeah, I, know. I
0: got, like, several DMs and several tweets.
1: Oh, that's so, so fun. This that's, is something what cute. Go- that's what I was going for.
0: It's something cute we do on Bro, uh, everyone out there, is that we both use the royal we very liberally.
1: Is it the royal or the papal we? Ooh, great question.
0: Great yeah. question. Love it. Um, we both use it very liberally. Um, often, I'll interchange between I and we in the same story. It's born it's born almost entirely out of mistaught lessons about you're not supposed to use I in pieces. Uh, it's a journalistic sure. note. Um, it's yep. stupid. It's a dumb rule like so many other dumb rules, um, but we both were taught it at some point and so we're both uncomfortable using the word I in a piece even when it's very much just our opinion. Yes. That said, um, we often like to do it anyway just cuz it's And then on a top
1: of it, often you and I agree. So it kind of it lended itself to
0: it. Often yeah. we agree. And yeah. I think on this point, we have a very, um, uh, it's a it's a minor but important uh, difference on the situation, which is I am completely bearish on Chip Kelly as, uh, as a football coach. Um, and I think even with a reasonable uptick in talent, I do not think UCLA is going to find significant success on the football field with him. Um, and basically acknowledging the, the, the precepts that you are building upon, which is that recruiting should improve if they have a seven and five season. I'm basically denying the reality that they might even have a seven and five season. And beyond that, that that will sustain into reasonable success, even if they do improve recruiting, um, because I just don't think he has it in him anymore. Um, so that's more where I come from on it. Um, so I'm still bearish on Chip Kelly. I'm always bullish on UCLA football in the medium to long term because all of the natural advantages that Chip Kelly has chosen to ignore about UCLA will still be present when he is done at the program. Um, and so the next, the next coach will immediately, if he so chooses, uh, be able to recruit at a top 20 level, just day one, hire the right staff. You'll be recruiting at a top 15, top 20 level. Um, And with that, uh, success may or may not come, depending on how bad of a coach they are. Um, But the the bare bones will be there. Uh, Chip Kelly has chosen to uh, ignore the bare bones for a few years. Now is, um, I think, uh, late to the party in in building those into his uh, program here. Uh, You know, the actual getting some talent. You know, he... Tracy, I've long been a um coaching's really the big thing that matters. Recruiting doesn't really matter because I always assumed that UCLA would recruit at like a baseline level. Like that they would always have enough talent that they're like a top four league team in terms of talent. And he's challenged that. He's made me care more about it. He's made me think, well, maybe it's not just coaching, maybe it really is the talent you have in the program. And that's sad and, for me.
1: And you know what's funny? Because uh I- if I really just compartmentalize it all and added this piece, took this piece out, added this piece. If I added all the pieces and took out um, the transfer portal, I, I would say I would be bearish. I would think that he wouldn't have a chance. I, right now at this point, I think the talent he'll be able to get the rest of this offseason if he even wins seven or eight or more, uh, games next year then the talent he can get next offseason will be able to immediately upgrade the talent he'll be able to play with and then I think he turns it around and he actually pulls it out um, but without the transfer portal if I just take that away and I do go through a little analysis process in my no I, I don't think he I would be bearish well, so the other thing is obviously it's a combination of a lot of stuff But that's the thing that sends me over.
0: I have the nuanced thought on the transfer portal, um, which is as it becomes a more established thing, as these guys begin to get eligibility immediately, it's going to become a much, 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 much more competitive process. And UCLA, again, has natural advantages there. But when the workload becomes a big part of it, when the recruiting part of it takes over again, Um, which it will, I mean, we're talking about these guys, like they're mature adults. A lot of these guys transferring are 19 or 20. They're prone to the same BS they were in high school. And I know there's, you know, some belief that they would not be, but, um, look, you recruit somebody for a job, they're still going to be prone to you buttering them up. Um, I guess my point here is it's going to become much more competitive in the future as teams start to realize what's available and all that kind of stuff. Um, and will UCLA be able to continue to eke out a significant comparative advantage here? I don't know. I really don't. Mm-hmm. Because yeah, they I... have the same natural advantages that you're talking about for the transfer portal exist for high school recruiting. And, but the high school recruiting game is saturated with good recruiters. Um, and so they're not able to eke out an advantage there um, by
1: not working I mean, hard. I, I differ a little. I think, I think a transfer is a different person. He has different priorities. He has He's looking for different things um, than a high school recruit. Completely different animal that you're recruiting. Um, I think it's a – I, I kind of – this I probably disagree on this the most with you. I, I, my experience in having followed recruiting and know how the recruiting process works and then having wa- just for the last three years watched the transfer portal and how it works, completely different. Different person you're recruiting, different priorities, the coaches who are going at them are emphasizing different things. I mean, you've got to say that most of these guys, a, a lot of the guys didn't even take an official visit, even outside of COVID. A lot of them before COVID committed to a school without taking an official visit. They don't need all the love. It's just, it's kind of a different thing. And I don't think UCLA's advantage, I think UCLA has a very unique advantage in in transfer portal as a, compared to high school recruiting. Similar in a lot of ways, some overlap, but then some things that are a little bit different, and Chip Kelly does also. Not that another coach couldn't have some of the advantages that Chip Kelly has, absolutely could too, but Chip Kelly has them that appeal more toward a transfer. So I kind of differ on that, but yeah, it's okay well I mean, I want, uh, so okay I'm, dave i won't use the wii anymore my god no
0: no it's fine you but made, i'm you, like I'm, you your point. I, no no i'm looking i'm looking around right now so <laughs> i'm looking at uh, the other classes in the pac-12 do you know how many one two do you know how many former four stars arizona's getting in the transfer portal this year
1: how three many?
0: do you know how many uh asu's getting I, do I think not. it's also three. Uh, they've got Jalen Conyers, a four-star receiver. Uh, they've got Tristan Miller, a four-star offensive lineman. Trevis Moore, a four-star defensive lineman. I mean, it's already competitive, and a lot of Pac-12 schools are benefiting from it. I, I guess uh, I, I, my point is, it's it's still going to be competitive. It's still going to be an actual challenge to do it, and I don't know that it's just. I mean. Cal got a four-star defensive back. What the hell's happening there? It's Cal. <laughs> but it's just, I'm looking around, and it's, a lot of teams are improving themselves through the transfer portal because a lot of guys move around these days. Um, but it's just, I, I don't, So you I, don't I'm, I'm failing that to see. UCLA will
1: have any advantage in the transfer portal. I don't think it's not, no, no, no. Years.
0: I think there's a lot of natural advantages for UCLA as a destination, but I think those natural advantages exist at a similar level no matter when a guy is deciding on picking a school it's not happening at the high school level because of uh a variety of reasons i'll just say that um but at the at the transfer level um our our belief is that they're more mature they're making a decision based off of other factors and all that kind of stuff but ucla isn't the only one pitching them on this stuff um, UCLA has to have a compelling argument for all of this. Um, is it that you have immediate playing time? Um, is it that it's just a great place to live? Because that's the argument for high school, too. Um, is it that it's all business? Um, I don't know. A lot of these guys might not like. I mean, Zach Charbonnet is transferred from Michigan. I think that's an all business program. Um, I. I don't know, man. I mean, I really, I I, I buy it as um, a way for UCLA to to, um, make up for its failures in high school recruiting, but they still will have to, I think, compete. Um, And that's where I'm a little bit, uh, again, bearish uh, on UCLA, because I don't think they've shown that um, ability to compete when it's a tough game in recruiting high school talent. And I think this will be a tough game because I think there are other programs that are going to pitch a very similar pitch to UCLA, but they might have a little bit more in terms of winning and development to back it up.
1: Um, okay. That's all I got. <laughs> no, no, no. UCLA just, uh, Ethan Young just uh, put out a boom. So I've been dealing with texts and writing a boom story. <laughs> <laughs> pretty good huh that's I great look at that yeah yeah,
0: yeah. usc okay. got uh one two three four five five four star transfers
1: yeah i could see usc benefiting from it also yes just you know, it's
0: worth worth acknowledging um okay. okay well good we'll 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 have more on ethan young's boom later on
1: yes we will i'm sure all right (laughs) okay Okay, i'm a little distracted sorry i was i was totally fine you know you can't multitask it's it's a complete
0: no no you can't um i learned that in art class in uh in in high school i couldn't draw and actually talk to anybody at the same time
1: yeah you're not nearly as effective by just doing one thing right rather than doing two things shitty
0: yeah that's true uh three four stars for utah Yeah, yeah transfer portal Okay. I'm, I'm just going through them now.
1: All no, right. Keep, hey, keep going. We'll go off the air and just.
0: I'll just be, I'll just like ramble silently <laughs> hey, into kids, the in, into me. the I'm dying mic. <laughs> oh, kids,
1: get away from me. Go find something to do. I'm going to check out every
0: Oh, God. We've got to put this mess up. We've got to do that. All right. For Tracy Pearson, okay. I'm David Woods, Bruin Report Online, and we will talk to you again next time.
1: Everyone, stay safe.